We've been in our series in hospitality, learning first how God shows hospitality to us, preparing a home for us, and preparing us for that home. And we've also learned how God's called to show us, called us to show hospitality to outsiders, people who don't fit in. And Today's story, again, addresses that hospitality that Jesus lives, Jesus is living, but we need to look at it from a wider view to really understand why Mark includes this second feeding story in the gospel. You see, back earlier in the gospel, they were familiar probably with the feeding of the 5,000. It's found in every gospel. People are very familiar with that story. And afterwards, and then we go into chapter 7, Jesus begins teaching that the Jewish purity laws and the food laws that the Pharisees are teaching, that the temple enforces, that the people follow, that they're not as important for being God's people as matters of the heart. That it is what is inside that God truly cares about, not what is on the outside. And after that, Jesus travels to Gentile territory. He goes out of Galilee, where he's from, where he's teaching the Jews, where everybody mostly is Jewish. And initially, he hides himself away from the Gentiles in the new territory that he's in. But a Gentile woman tracks him down, comes into the house where he is. And Jesus tells her, look, the children, meaning the Jews, need to be fed first. Now, notice the image that Jesus used. This woman comes, he's asking him for help, and he talks about feeding. He talks about the table. He talks about God's sustenance and bread. But this woman won't give up. She challenges Jesus' order of hospitality and spurs him not only to heal her daughter, but to go out into public ministry at, right after that in to the Gentile territory, bringing the good news of God to the Gentiles there, traveling through cities, teaching and healing. And the, the story, this larger story, culminates with our scripture today in Mark chapter 8, beginning at the first verse. In those days when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, How can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute. And they distributed them to the crowd. 
They had also a few small fish, and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanatha. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The big picture here, the big picture of these stories is what we're going to look at today. We're not going to go so much into the detail of this story, but the larger picture that is being formed by Mark is that Jesus is offering the same hospitality to the Gentiles now that he first offered to the Jews. The feeding of the 5,000 in Galilee was a crowd that would have been Jewish, maybe universally, totally Jewish. Here, he's in Gentile territory. These would have been Gentiles. And to be clear, Gentiles means everyone else. Not the Jews, everyone else. Me, you, Miss Eugenia, everyone. You might figure out, right, that there are a lot more Gentiles than Jews. This is the first, biggest, and most public indicator that Jesus has something so much bigger in mind than simply restoring the kingdom to the Jews, simply reigning on a throne on the promised land. Something a bit more like the image that Steele read for us, the image that Micah paints of all the world coming to know God. Imagine how difficult it must have been for his Jewish disciples to process this. To see Jesus blessing the Gentiles in the way that he had blessed his Jewish brothers and sisters. The Gentiles were not. They were the oppressors. They were the others. They were the ones who had been holding the Jewish people down for so many years. It became an ongoing challenge in the early church, which was Jewish coming out of Jerusalem, it became a challenge for those who knew God so well and so deep, knew God from birth, to coexist with these new converts, these people who are just getting to know God. And at the same time, the rules were changing. Jesus was starting to teach them that you didn't have to be circumcised in order to be a follower of God. You didn't have to eat kosher to be identified as God's people anymore. And the Jews are thinking, we've only got a few loaves. Barely enough for us. You want us to share them with all these people? I can just imagine the disciples thinking, Is God trying to replace us? 
I try not to use a lot of sports metaphors, but this one just seemed really applicable this week. Mark Ingram was a longtime running back for the New Orleans Saints. He was drafted by the Saints and became a stable, a stable in, in our offense, became a strong uh, running back, broke most of the career records in the Saints. He was a huge strength on uh, the teams that went to the playoffs year after year and a leader in the locker room. And then the Saints drafted Alvin Kamara. Kamara is a generational talent. He's one of the best running backs in the league. He breaks league records left and right. It is clear, it was clear from the first year that Camara would replace Ingram. And yet from day one, Ingram was a close friend and confidant to Camara. From day one, he taught him how to be a professional football player, how to work, how to learn, how to do his trade at a high level. And it came the day that Ingram was up for a new contract and the Saints did not offer him one because Camara had replaced him. So he moved to the Baltimore Ravens where in 2019 he ended up with over a thousand yards rushing. He excelled on that team, became a leader in that locker room, became a great player on the team. And the Ravens drafted J.K. Dobbins. And Ingram got a little banged up. And by the end of this year, Ingram was again standing on the sidelines, watching a rookie take his job. And Dobbins said after the season that he gave great credit for his success to Mark Ingram, who mentored him, who taught him how to play, who taught him what it meant to be a great football player. Can you imagine welcoming, showing incredible hospitality and mentorship to someone who is going to replace you and take your job? If that's the level of hospitality it takes to truly welcome everyone. To welcome everyone in the way that Jesus shows us in this story. Welcoming new people who don't know God. Who don't know Jesus Christ. It can feel like new people are replacing us. Because the church starts to change with new people. The church isn't the way it used to be. New people want to implement new ideas. You may not like them. Old traditions begin to get discarded and new traditions get raised up. Yet showing true hospitality to everyone means prepared, being prepared to give up some things that are important to you in order to make others 
feel welcome, accepted, and included. And this is not easy for a church. This is not easy for churches. A recent survey in Mission Insight found that people who are inside of churches who are thinking about leaving, one of the main reasons that new people inside of churches are thinking about leaving is because they don't feel welcome and valued. Sure, we, we've invited them to the potluck. We even put them on a committee. But when they had a new idea, when they wanted to do something in a different way, we said, no, you will not replace us. Jesus living means welcoming everyone and adapting our way, our message for people who are not interested in traditional church. Think about how differently Jesus would have had to teach to communicate with these Gentiles. These are people who are following Greek and Roman mythology. If you're familiar with that at all, their gods are capricious, jealous, petty. Basically just big, powerful human beings. Imagine how different it must have been for Jesus to try to present this new God to them. The Jews that he'd been teaching all this time, they knew about the God of love and forgiveness and welcome and hospitality and faithfulness, and peace. That God stayed the same. But the church, the teaching, the way, changed. Because the church is not a living thing. I'm sorry, the church is a living thing. The church is not an institution. The church is not a building. The church is not a style of worship. The church is a people. And people change. No matter how long we are here, we will not be here forever. Welcoming everyone means mentoring our replacements. Now the good news is, there's more than enough room in God's house to go around. God was not replacing Israel. God was renewing Israel. God is not replacing us, but God does wish to renew us through radical hospitality. I want to tell you about a church that was renewed through radical hospitality. Around the year 2000, Haywood Street United Methodist Church in downtown Asheville was probably very similar to St. Paul in the year 2000. It was a church that had a big heyday in the 1950s, maintainable decline through the 1970s, and then began to inch closer to death by the turn of the century. Haywood Street decided to give up everything everything that they knew and held dear and become a place of radical hospitality. 
where everyone was welcome. And in 2009, they started the welcome table, a meal for everyone on Wednesday afternoons. They do it in the afternoon because, as it says on their website, as the ministry was forming, a houseless brother remarked, the shelter lets out early in the morning, and I'm on lockdown until the afternoon. I'm sorry, I'm on lockout until the afternoon. In the park, there's a chance of a rest. In the library, a chance of getting kicked out. And in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, is when I struggle with addiction the most. I'd rather hear the good news than get high. Now, I'll let the founding pastor, Brian Combs, tell you about this church in a short video. So, the invitation is to come here and receive rather than to fix, to be empty-handed when you come for your first encounter. So what you would expect is to feel uncomfortable, to sit at table with folks you probably wouldn't associate with otherwise, and to experience a relationship you wouldn't anywhere else in town. And if there's one thing the church is supposed to do, it's to create an environment where people come together who would have nothing to do with each other in any other place in the world. So expect to have a experience of holy chaos, expect to have an experience of grace at the table, an experience that will be unlike anything else. Haywood Street, we believe there's no better way to love people than through food. And so your experience will be the exact opposite. We're going to greet you by name. You're going to sit at a round table where there's no head. There's going to be a tablecloth. There's going to be a flowering centerpiece, a rolled up linen napkin. You're going to have a wait staff. And our food comes from restaurants like Curate and corner kitchen, table, and many other places in town. And so we believe since there are no second-class people, there should be no second-class food. So you're going to receive every bit of the bounty of God's love at the table. I would say to sum up this place in one word, it'd be table, communion, Eucharist, that we all gather around God's table to be fed by one another, to serve and be served, and to eat from this God who says, I will love you most a meal that never ends through true abundance of love, grace, of forgiveness. What needs to be clear is that this is a church, not a feeding ministry. This is a church that formed around radical hospitality over a feast. Sort of like our story today. Now, eventually, word got around that everyone was welcome, and not only the unhoused people, but the housed people began to attend. People like you and me. Only they wanted worship on Sunday morning, too. New people want new things. Now, a fundamental challenge. This is the opposite of what most churches would have to think about. How can we include all these traditional Sunday morning type people? But they decided to stick to their, to their core value of radical hospitality and begin a traditional service on Sunday morning for the new people that were coming in to be a part of this church. Showing hospitality to everyone, it turns out, it's not just about good practices. 
It's a matter of the heart. Just like Jesus taught. True welcome does not flow from a heart that desires more people to fill the pews or a heart that desires more offerings to pay our bills. We can say that everyone is welcome. We can even act like everyone is welcome. But our hearts must desire everyone to form a new relationship with Jesus Christ. We must be, have hearts that are dedicated and excited to people forming new relationships with God. Hearts that are excited to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to share what God has done among us here. This family that we have to invite and share and welcome other people. We don't have to start a meal like Haywood Street, but we do need to let the Holy Spirit get us excited about welcoming everyone, welcoming the new ideas they bring, welcoming the new questions they will have about God and the new ways that they will want to share the love of God in Jesus Christ with us and with one another and with our community. It may feel like we only have a few loaves, but in God's hands, the truth is, we have a feast to share. More than enough of a gift for everyone to be welcome here in our family. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.